Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Church, good morning once again. Wherever you're gathering with us from, we're glad that you've gathered with us. We're in a brand new series called Impossible 2, and the reason we've called it Impossible 2 is this is the second year of our Impossible campaign. We've got some impossible initiatives that we're asking God to do. One of those was to launch an Abundant Life campus in Independence, about 23rd and Nolan Road, and it's coming up on our one-year anniversary. Let's give it up right now for Abundant Life Independence. We're so glad of what God is doing and thrilled what God is doing through you in independence. And so we're just wanting to commemorate that moment. This impossible campaign is about multiplying new gatherings and new places to reach new people. And the gospel light is shining bright in independence because of abundant life that merged about a year ago with a church called Emmanuel to do something together that we could not have possibly done a part. Church, listen very carefully. I want you to hear me say this today. Decisions equal destinations. Destinations have been altered already because of the decision to go to independence. And this is what God is doing for the last 2,000 years of church history. When he launched this movement through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said that upon this rock himself, he'd build his church and the gates of Hades or hell should not prevail. He launched a movement and that movement changed all of history. It radically altered Roman society and is still changing lives individually, personally, into the 21st century. But this history is more than history. You see, this history impacts eternity. Decisions impact destinies. It's true of your life. I want you to understand, 20 years from now, wherever your life is, your destination is simply the summation of a series of decisions. In Numbers chapter 13, if you have a copy of God's word with you, in Numbers 13, Israel had come to the moment of great decision, and that decision would define a long-term destination. We are studying leadership through the life of Moses in our leadership summit coming up in just a couple of weeks to get ready for it. And I want you to hear this principle today on leadership. True leaders give their lives. They don't try to save their lives. True leaders give their lives. They don't try to save their lives. In Numbers chapter 13, what has happened? Moses has delivered Israel from Egyptian captivity in Pharaoh's tyranny. He's now led them on a journey through the wilderness, and they're on the brink of crossing over into the promised land that God promised would flow with milk and honey. They've come right on the brink of crossing over. In Numbers chapter 13, Numbers is like an appendix to the book of Exodus. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or the Pentateuch. And Numbers is like an appendix to Exodus. Because what Moses is doing in the book of Numbers, he's numbering his men for war. 
And so he has sent 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. That's what's happening in Numbers chapter 13. They're on a mission of espionage, this kind of reconnaissance mission, go in, spy out the enemy, come back and report before we go into the land. And as the story goes, two of those men came back, Joshua and Caleb, that said, yeah, it's a great land. It's a beautiful land. It's full of beauty and bounty and prosperity and plenty. Let's go up at once and take it. God gave it. Let's go do it. But there were 10 that came back. They gave a bad report. They said, hey, man, we can't go over there. Some big old boys over there. I'm with some big dudes. I mean, they're like, Meh, and we're like, Meh, no way are we going over there. It's scary, 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 scary. And that decision to preserve their life instead of giving their life would in the end cost them their life. And all of them that would follow them they made the decision to save their life instead of being willing to give their life, and in the end, they would lose their life, and the influence of these 10 would cost an entire generation seeing the promised land. And dear friends, it's true of your life individually, it's true of a family, it's true of my life personally, it's true of a church body, decisions, defined destinations. For many of us, on the outset of 2022, God has brought us to a moment of decision that has the power to impact your long-term destination. And true leaders are willing to give their life and sacrifice their life and even lose their life, not to hang on to the life or preserve their life. Let's pick it up right here in Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If you're ready for this, say yes. Numbers 13 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving. Now mark those words. He said, I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Now they departed and came back to Moses. Now when you read the whole text, and we don't have time, they were gone for 40 days spying out the land. Incidentally, sidebar, 40 in biblical numerology is the number of trial and tribulation. They were there for 40 days. See, God is trying and testing Israel. Do you understand? Satan tempts and God tests. And the very thing that Satan wants to use to tempt you to destroy your faith is the very thing that God is using to test you to fortify your faith. They're gone 40 days. It's not coincidental, providential. Now they've come back to give a report of what they saw in the land. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. Now mark where they were, Kadesh. I'll tell you why after a while. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Remember, God said, I promised you a land. It's the modern day land of Israel. It was in the ancient days known as Canaan and God said it flows with milk and honey. Milk and honey in the ancient days were commodities of the wealthy. Milk and honey were symbols of a land that was fruitful and bountiful and plentiful. If you had lots and lots of milk, in excess of milk, what it meant was you got a lot of flocks and you've got a lot of herds, which means you've got a lot of grass. You've got a lot of pasture. My roots are in southern Missouri. 
You, you got some green grass. You got a lot of pasture. You, you got some rainwater. See, this was an arid, dry part of the world historically. If you ever go there on the Holy Land tour, it's very mountainous, very deserty, very dry. But God promised Israel, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. This is why when you look at the history of this part of the world, it has been fought over, over and over again, century after century. The ancients all wanted this land because it was a land of beauty and bounty and fertility and plenty. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey. Honey, if you had honey, it's because you had beautiful timber. It takes forests to have honeybees. And so he say, hey, this land will sustain you. It is beautiful. It is a land that is bountiful. And they came back and said, it's just like God said. It's amazing. Here's the fruit. If you read the whole text, they brought back a cluster of grapes that took two men to carry. Like when I picture this cluster of grapes, it says they attached it to a pole and two men were carrying a cluster of grapes because it was too heavy for one man. Like these grapes are the size of watermelon. Can you imagine? I mean, this place is amazing. It's just like God said it would be. Nevertheless, here it comes. Here it comes. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the termites <laughs> dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Now what is Caleb doing here? He is using the principle of leadership we talked about a week ago. He's inspiring hope. He's, he's trying to, he's got these 10 guys that don't believe God is able, that God won't perform what he's promised. He's trying to inspire hope. Wait a minute, God said it. He already gave it. Let's cross over and do it. It's ours already. I mean, he was ready to go, conquer the land. Now, he and Joshua will be the only two of the 12 spies that will ever cross over into the promised land. 40 years later, they would, because of their belief. Joshua and Caleb were outnumbered, though, by the 10. Listen carefully, belief is contagious in a church. Hope is contagious in a church, but so is hopelessness. It's contagious. Disbelief, it is contagious. True leaders use their influence to point people to God instead of away from God. And this is what Caleb is trying to do. He's trying to point the people to what God has said. He's saying, God promised it. It's our land already. It is our destiny. Let's go over our true identity in this land that flows with milk and honey, but... But the man who had gone up with him said, we are not able, let me ask you, are you a well-able or a not-able kind of person? We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anna came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. Now listen carefully, a lot of people right here think, oh, this is just biblical mythology. 
that giants once roamed the earth. I mean, this is just ancient Hebrew folklore. Surely not. Seriously? I want you to understand, these men that came back and reported giants in the land, they weren't making up what they saw. Now listen, fear always embellishes the truth. Fear always magnifies reality. They were not literally grasshoppers in their sight. Like, you know, they were this big compared to these giants. But what we know from the archaeological record and the extra biblical record is that there really was a race of giants in the land of Canaan at this time in history. In fact, you can go to the British Museum on display is an ancient Hebrew text. I could go on and on about the archaeological record here of the ancient people. But let's just say the Egyptians were not Bible thumpers. What you have here is a text, an official Egyptian document of the land of Canaan. The ancient Egyptians did a lot of trade in the land of Canaan, and it had a major north-south uh, highway of trade for commerce. And you have an official document here that's on display in a museum in Great Britain that dates from about the 13th century BC, roughly about the same time as Israel took the exodus out of Egypt and the subsequent conquest of the promised land. And here's what an ancient Egyptian administrator wrote as a description of this trade route for the ancient Egyptians. It translates like this. The valley region is infested with shasu, some of them are four cubits or five cubits from head to foot, fierce of face. Their heart is not mild, and they hearken not to coaxing. In other words, they don't hearken to reasoning. Now, what's an Egyptian cubit? If you look at an Egyptian cubit, four or five cubits would put these men at from seven feet tall to eight and a half feet tall. Now, this was a time in history where the average full-grown man was five feet tall. Now, if you're five foot tall and you're going into hand-to-hand -hand combat with a man that's eight feet tall, you got reason to be scared. Be very, very scared. Because it's going to be really hard to overcome a man eight feet tall when you're five feet tall when you're going into hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? You have no advantage. He's got all the advantages. The reason these 10 spies were scared to go over there. I mean, it's risky. I mean, there's these giants and we're like grasshoppers and they got these iron chariots and they're going to pour milk over our children and eat them for breakfast. <laughs> no, we don't want to go over there. Now, I have to tell you where these giants came from. Little sidebar, where do these giants come from? Because some of you ask them, where'd they come from? Genesis 6 and verse 4 tells us exactly the origin of these giants. Genesis 6 and verse 4 puts it this way. And there were giants in the earth in those days, as in the days of Noah, and also after that, it says, as in the days of the Exodus. When the sons of God came in and the daughters of men and giants were born unto them. So who are these sons of God? Well, we know clearly who they are when you just let the text read what it says and believe what you read. Listen, the Bible's not hard to understand, just sometimes hard to believe. Because modern man wants to take the supernatural out of the Bible. Even those of us that actually believe the Bible, the tendency is to I try to explain everything naturally when the reality is we serve a supernatural God and the Bible is a supernatural book about supernatural events. 
And the way you do a little Bible study, who are these sons of God? The, the Hebrew phrase is B'nai Elohim, literally rendered sons of God. You take the unclear passage and you interpret it through the clear passages. You get out your little concordance and you trace that phrase, B'nai Elohim, where else is it found? And when you do, you find it's done only three other times in the entire Old Testament, Job chapter one, Job chapter two, Job 38 and verse seven. And each time you clearly see the context for sons of God is angels. These are fallen angels. In fact, Job 38 verse 7 calls them morning stars. There was a race that was created by God before Adam's race. They are the angelic race. And what you have in Genesis 6 and verse 4 is Satan mingling his seed. Yes, Satan has seed. Genesis 3.15, I'll put your seed at enmity with the woman's seed. And that promised seed of the woman is Jesus who'd be born of a virgin. And what was happening in Genesis chapter 6, Satan is mingling his seed with the woman's seed so the promised seed might never emerge. Now you know the real reason God brought a flood to save the human race from satanic seed and from this illegal union. The seed of fallen angels and women came a race of giants, a hybrid race. And guess what? What Satan did in the days of Noah, he did again for 400 years while Israel was out of the land and in Egypt. He was seeding a hybrid race in the land of Canaan to keep the people of God from ever coming over to the promised land of God because Satan knew that there was a promised seed coming through the Hebrews and the promised seed could not come if the people were not in the place. So he seeded giants in the land ahead of time, a real race of giants, and extra biblical archaeological evidence tells us is true. You say, Phil, what does that have to do with me and you living in the 21st century? Listen carefully. There may not be today a race of giants that we're going to go to hand-to-hand combat with, but there are giants in every single one of our lives. to keep you from living the abundant life in Christ. See, this story is our story. God has delivered us out of bondage and sin's penalty. And Jesus, like Moses, has taken us on a journey. It's called sanctification into the land that would flow with milk and honey. Jesus called it life abundantly. But most Christians get stuck halfway. Most Christians get out of Egypt. They just never make it into the promised land. And the giant in your life is that thing in your life that keeps you from living the abundant life in Christ. And Satan has positioned it there specifically so you stay there and you never cross over into your true God-given destiny, your true God-given identity. 2 Corinthians 2.14, he always causes me to live triumphantly, 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, John 10 and verse 10. I've come to give you life abundantly, 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He does not want you to live with liberty, life abundantly, life triumphantly victoriously. He wants you to stay in the wilderness of mediocrity. No, no longer in Egypt under sin's penalty. You just never know the joy and freedom of life in Christ. Not really. It's just theory. It's just theology. You never know it practically. He positions giants in your life for that very reason. An entire generation had enough faith to get out of Egypt, but not enough faith to get into the promised land. I call them unbelieving believers. This is a a paradox. This is an oxymoron. I know. 
you have an entire generation of ancient Hebrews, enough faith to get out of Egypt, but not enough faith to get into the promised land. They got stuck halfway. And that's where most Christians live and die. Yes, you know you're forgiven of your sin. Yes, you have, as Jesus called, born again. Yes, you know that you're going to heaven. You got enough faith to get out of Egypt, just not enough faith to get in the promised land. You got enough faith to get into heaven, just not enough faith to get through the day. Got enough faith to get into heaven, just not enough faith to get through that trial or that tribulation because there are giants in your life and they are real. These men that came back, they were not, they were not lying about what they saw. They saw giants. They weren't like grasshoppers. They, they embellished that. Fear always does that. But they saw giants. They saw a race of men. They, humanly speaking, had no chance of conquering. It was impossible this is the impossible campaign. They were saying, this is impossible, but with God, all things are. And you got giants in your life. Listen, you're not making it up. That giant is real. That loneliness you feel is not pretend. That, that depression that you battle is a giant and it's real. It is not pretend. The financial duress, loss of the job, it's real. He does not pretend. For some of us, there's a giant in the middle of our marriage. You cannot remember the last time the two of you were happy. These giants are real. COVID is real. This is a giant in the land. Another surge once again. I thought we'd be out of this by now. We're not. Here we go again. The giants are real. These aren't pretend. But the problem for these ancient Hebrews is the same problem for many of us. We see the obstacles, but we don't see the opportunity. We see the problem, but we forget God's promise. We see the size of the giant, but we don't see the size of our God, that God is yet larger. Yes, our problems are large, but our God is yet larger. And do you understand that the Satan positions giants in your life like he positioned giants in the land? And an entire generation that had enough faith to get out of Egypt did not have enough faith to get into the promised land. And that is the tragedy of Christianity. So many Christians get stuck halfway in this journey. And I want to share two things in two ways. Satan will keep you from crossing over. You got to go through the wilderness. This journey brought Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. We all have to go through the wilderness. There's no way around it. But here's the point. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to die there. And ancient Israel chose to stay there, and as many as two million people would die there. They would wander in circles in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And that's a picture of so many of our lives, just wandering in circles, going nowhere, doing it over and over again without ever taking the next step to get into the promised land. First of all, there's fear and insecurity. Satan always uses fear and insecurity. What was he doing through this race of giants? Fear! insecurity, anxiety. No, we'll stay right here. That's how he works in all of our lives. I, I want you to do something. If you got this white card on the way in, over at the other campuses, church houses, pull this out. I want you to hold this up right now. If you didn't get one on the way in, just pretend. Use your imagination. I want you to take a pen. I want you to write right here, what is your giant in your life? What is that thing in your life that keeps you from living the truly abundant life in Christ. Addiction, 
recurring temptation, a merry-go-round of sensuality, pornography, depression, alcoholism, there's something. Relationship. I'll tell you what I wrote on my card. Fear, fear of failure. Fear of failure. I go back 22 years in my life, here I was on the brink, major decision that's gonna define my long-term destination. Here I am, a cop on the KCPD. I've chosen a career in law enforcement. I think it's all I'm ever gonna do. 25 or 30 years in law enforcement. I'm gonna retire at 48, maybe 50, live happily ever after and be in an RV and tour the country. That was my plan. But God began to call me to preach, and I fill in. I told you the story kind of sort of uh, uh, last week, and I, you know, I'm just filling in in this little church, and I'm just filling the pulpit kind of as an interim, and I'm not the pastor. There's no way I'm ready to be the pastor, but I'll just kind of preach and show up every week and, and hopefully hold things together till we find ourselves a real pastor. And then guess what they did? They went and asked me to actually interview for the position and actually candidate to be the pastor. And so I did. I interviewed for the position. And then within just days, I withdrew my name from consideration. I called up the head of the pulpit committee. I said, Kendall, thanks. I am flattered. I am honored you would ask. But there is no way I'm ready. I mean, this just doesn't make any sense. I barely started a seminary. I have no training. I've never, ever had any pastoral mentoring. Like, I have no experience. I'm just kind of learning as I go. I barely started preaching. Hey, thanks, but no thanks. You know what I was doing? I was running. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of failure. I don't want to fail. I'm fearful of failure. Let me tell you something, church. There is no more miserable person on the place, face of the planet than a child of God who's running from the will of God. There is no more of a miserable person on the face of the planet than a child of God who is running from God, who's out of the will of God, and that was me for three weeks. I was miserable. I'm telling you, I was under so much conviction of the Holy Spirit because I knew I was running from God out of fear, and I was, didn't want to fail, and I, I didn't think I was ready, and I had all of these reasons. These were rational reasons. Hey, it was rational that these 10 men didn't want to go over there. It was irrational to think about going over there. I was using rational, logical reasons why this can't be happening. I mean, I'm not ready. It was rational. It was real. But the reality is I was fearful of failing. I was miserable because I was out of the will of God for three weeks. Couldn't even sleep. I was so sleepless. But finally, one night, I made a decision and a moment in time affected eternity, a decision that impacted destinations, not just mine, but many, many others also. I got up at midnight. I called back the lead of the pulpit committee, a man that sits right over here, eight o'clock every Sunday service, named Kendall Sheets. I said, Kendall, I know it's late, but I can't sleep. And I, I, I know I just need to say yes to Jesus. Hey, I, I'm putting my name back in consideration. Now, if you guys don't call me, that's okay. Really, it's all good. I'll get behind the next pastor. I'm still here to stay. I'm going to help. But if you don't call me, it's okay. I'm just, I just know I need to say yes and put my name back in. And guess what? I hung up, and I could finally go to sleep. Now, I was still fearful. Fear's part of the thing for all of us. Listen very carefully. What I learned to get over my fear, I had to get over myself. 
See, when you become selfless, you become fearless. Leaders don't try to save themselves. Leaders don't try to preserve themselves. Leaders are willing to give themselves and sacrifice themselves. And when you get over yourself, you will get over your fear. Because as long as you are captivated by fear, you're making it all about you. And that was me. What will people think of me? What will be their opinion of me? What if I fail and fall flat on my face and I'll look foolish? And why did I leave the police department anyway? Listen, the devil prepares giants in our lives to keep us from taking our next step with God. What is the giant in your life? Fear of failure was the giant in my life. Listen, I got to do this again and again and again. Every two years, one finish line becomes another starting line, and I go through this kind of this fear factor once again. Like, here we are, and we're trying to launch a campus this year in the crossroads, and I'm like, what if nobody sees what I see? What if they don't buy in? What if they don't believe? What if they think I'm crazy for wanting to go to the crossroads? Well, what if they think I'm nuts for wanting to do this online campus? I mean, what is that anyway? And every time I have to get over myself and get over my fear to do it again. The fear of failure, listen carefully. Courage is not the absence of fear, it is the absence of self. This is what Jesus was teaching in Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. You wanna be fearless, deny yourself, become selfless. You wanna be fearless, die to yourself. He said, take up your cross. This is the nature of truly being a follower of Jesus Christ. I think about our Emmanuel campus over there at Independence is now Abundant Life Independence because a little over a year, a little group of people, about 40, in this church called Emmanuel came to us and said, we know that we're going to be closing our doors. They had gone through the life cycle of many churches from a church that was blowing and going in the 70s and 80s, four or 500 people there. They were down to the last 30 or 40 and they were a hair's breadth away from dying forever. Most churches, listen carefully, they get to that life stage of the church and they will hang on so tightly to what they have, they cannot receive what could be. That's why they got my attention. Instead of trying to preserve what they had, they were willing to die to what they had so something new could live. And that's what leaders always do. And by the way, because of your generosity, this is what we're now able to do. We are currently renovating this building that was built back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s at a time when churches didn't have multiple services, which meant you didn't need community and gathering spaces for transitions between services. So we're blowing out some walls and putting a good gathering community space there. We're renovating the kids' wing. But understand, church, the reason we're there is not for this, it's not for a building. It's decisions impact destinations. It's not for renovations. This is the real reason we're there. This is the reason we're here at Independence. They couldn't remember the last time they had baptisms. It'd been years and years and years and years. This is Greg Jones, I know Greg Jones. I've known him since he was about 10 years of age. He's now 30, that makes him young and makes me old. Greg was actually raised in our church. But like a lot of young adults, he left the church. He was far, far from the church. And more importantly, he spent years of his life far, far from God. He's what we call a prodigal son. But after opening up independence, abundant life, not only did he come back to church, he came back to God. 
In fact, he's being called to ministry. He wants to go to seminary. And you have a picture right him of him baptizing his daughter. Decisions impact destinations, even for future generations. You see, this is why we're here. Decisions impact destinations. We're talking not just renovations, but resurrections. This is the reason we're in independence. Because a little group of people died to what they had so something new could live. And that is always what God calls all of us to. Not to hang on to what we have, but let go of what we have. What you have in the book of Numbers chapter 13 as an entire generation trying to preserve their life. And in so doing, they would all lose their lives. Had they given away their life, they would have found their life in the promised land. Now, there's a second thing the devil does. If it's not fear and insecurity, it's apathy and complacency. Apathy and complacency. The devil is perfectly fine leaving you right where you are. Because in the wilderness, you are no threat to the enemy. Yes, you've been set free from Egypt, no longer under sin's penalty, no longer living in captivity, but even though you're not in captivity spiritually, you're gonna live like you're in captivity practically. A life of mediocrity in a wilderness sanctuary. Now what is remarkable, the devil is satisfied to leave you alone and let you camp. You're made to conquer. The people of God are a people of conquest. But if you won't be a person of conquest, he will let you camp years and years and years and years at Kadesh Barnea, which means wilderness sanctuary. See, Kadesh Barnea was a desert oasis in an otherwise very dry, arid part of the world. If you ever go on the Holy Land tour with us, you'll see it for yourself, a very dry, mountainous part of the world. But Kadesh Barnea was a desert oasis. It was well watered, and for the next 40 years, the children of Israel would camp there repeatedly. They would wander in circles. They would wander aimlessly, but over and over again, they would find themselves back at Kadesh because it was a wilderness sanctuary. Do you understand the implication, the idolatry of security and apathy and choosing what is easy may feel like a sanctuary, but it will one day become your cemetery? Doing nothing is what is easy. Do you understand for 40 years in the wilderness, the Israelites fought exactly one battle. The devil pretty much left them alone. The real battles would begin when they crossed over. I told you last week, sometimes slavery is easier than liberty. Do you understand it was a sanctuary? It was easy. I mean, God brought them water from a rock. They didn't have to work for anything. Manna from heaven. They had easy street in the wilderness. Do you understand? That is a picture of so many Christians choosing instead a life of mediocrity when your true identity is a life abundantly. My fear today, church, listen, honestly, I don't fear failure like I used to. What I fear today is mediocrity. Because mediocrity is what is easy. 
I, I hate the word mediocre. Like I have a fear of, of becoming a mediocre church because that's what's easy. I, I hate the word mediocre. It's like a word just want to choke on it. Like mediocre, tapioca. <laughs> hate it, hate it, hate it. See, the real threat is not failure. The real threat in your life and my life is mediocrity because it's easy. 22 years ago, I made a decision that would impact a destination. And sometimes, 22 years later, Chris and I will actually talk about, like, what would our life have looked like had we not said yes to take our next step? Had we chose what was easy and what was safe, what came with predictability and familiarity, it would have been a good life. I mean, sometimes we think, well, if I don't cross over, my life is going to fall apart. Maybe not. My life wasn't going to fall apart. God would have found somebody else. God wouldn't have lost. I would have lost. I would have had a good life, comfortable life. I would have finished a 25, 30-year career in law enforcement, and I was being promoted and already on the upward mobile track and probably retired as a major deputy chief somewhere, and it would have been a comfortable life, comfortable livelihood, and I'd be doing the RV thing by now. But then we think all that we would have missed out on, all that we never would have seen, by choosing what was easy, what is easy is to do nothing. Don't change a thing. That's safe. But do you understand all this generation failed to see? The next generation would. They would conquer the land. But this generation that left Egypt would never live to see the land. They would all die in the wilderness. They chose a wilderness sanctuary and it would become their cemetery. Stephen Branch, our campus pastor over at Independence, was sharing some things with me this week as we're kind of celebrating the last year of what God has done in Independence. He said he had a conversation with one of those long-term Emmanuel members that had been there for decades and decades and could remember the glory days of the 70s and the 80s when the church was blowing and going and growing and, you know, four or 500 people went there. He asked them this, what changed? Here's what they said. It was so profound. What changed is we didn't change. What changed is we didn't change. We chose a wilderness sanctuary of apathy and complacency. It was easy. Change is hard. Now, church, there's some things I will promise you as your pastor. I promise before God and the people of God, there are some things at this church that will never, ever change. You know why? Because God doesn't change. And the Word of God doesn't change, which means we're going to keep preaching the Word of God. What won't change is the message. What won't change is the mission. Those are timeless. But most churches, what they do is they will hang on tightly to the methods and loosely to the mission. Instead of hanging on tightly to the mission and loosely to the methods, we hang on to the wrong things. Who could have dreamed online campus? I never could have seen this coming even five years ago. Go back far enough. I couldn't have fathomed multiple campuses. Who'd heard of that? Nobody knew that. Let it never be said at Abundant Life, what changed is that they wouldn't change. 
there's always going to be a next step for our church and a next step for your life. And right now is the time to make a decision that has the power to impact your destination and not just your destination, but future generations. I want you to take out your card. This card, if you have one, I want you to hold it up, would you? Over at the other campuses, the church houses online. If you don't have a card, just hold up your hand, would you? This represents your giant. Think about what it is. Mine's fear, I told you what it is. Fear of failure. I had to get over myself to get over my fear. The giant is real, whatever you're facing. It's not pretend. I want you to exchange this for this. This card says yes. What I had to do was just say yes. What the children of Israel had to do was just say yes. We will believe God that he will perform what he promised. You were made for life abundantly. That is your true identity in the promised land spiritually. Refuse to do what is easy. Refuse mediocrity. Refuse apathy. I'm gonna ask you to do something courageous to get up out of your seat as we sing. Exchange this card for this card. These cards are down here on this platform. If you're up in the terrace, they're right at the bottom of the terrace. I want you to get out of your seat. Say yes to Jesus. And on the other side is an invitation to our leadership summit. Let's stand together. And let's go forward by faith instead of stay where we are by fear.
to make conquest of the promised land. Let the battles begin. For some of us, our next step is regen. It's time to take back what the enemy has stolen. For some of us, it's discipleship one. Learn to become a disciple, a follower. Hey, for some of us, it's a group trying to go solo. We all have a next step. Say yes in the face of whatever obstacle, whatever giant. And I can absolutely promise you, by faith, God has already given it to you. The destiny, the promised land spiritually. Church, I love you very, very deeply. Give Jesus the glory this morning, would you? God bless you, God go with you. Have a super blessed Sunday. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.